I know that this week was a little bit of a hard week for that solo people, so. But, I I just, I, I saw this, and this was one of those things that is, um, you know, you know there's like, people have stories that they have wives' tales, is that what they call it? Or urban myths, where people think things are true, but they don't know if it's true, where's the source from? So I was just learning this safer and I saw this and I said, hey, I know people know about this, but let's go through it inside. It talks a little bit about death, but we'll just go through it quickly and then we'll go on to a different area. But I just think it's worthwhile. If you want to follow inside, uh, this is from the safer called Shari Aran. Shari Aran is a, uh, a it's a malakate, means it, um, it takes from all different sources and uh, you find material on the Parsha, okay? So that's what he does. He's not, it's not like he's coming up with new ideas, but rather he, it's called the compendium, is that the term for being, when you put a lot of ideas from, you take Rashi, you take the Ramban, you take Ramban, whatever, what? And that's what he does. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you. This comes from Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer. Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer was written by the great Tana Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkinis, who was a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. So we're talking about easy numbers 2,000 years ago, right? Just for easy purpose numbers, you know. Um, the Pasuk says that Yosef was told that his father, Yaakov, was sick. That's what he was told. So we're going to read it to you. Because this is a very, I mean, you know, I have to preface, my father had, um, he died, I guess, from strokes, and he was in a coma for a long period of time, for many, many months. Some people die that way, and some people just drop dead. That's what this discussion's about a little bit. Hello, how are you? Okay, so it says like this, I'm going to read it inside. I think it's just worthwhile to hear. It says in Pirkei Baaretz, From the time that the heavens and earth were created, Lohoya Adam Choleh. Nobody was sick. God created the human body to work properly. I mean, granted, Ford and GM want you to buy new parts, right? And therefore, your water pump goes at about 60,000 miles or something because they want you to change your parts. Comes along another company called Volvo, and the parts seem to have lasted longer or you know the or the German cars, and all of a sudden the American cars had a problem, right? Because they were dropping dead on every corner, and the Japanese cars and the German cars were were doing much much better. So people stopped buying American cars. I, basically, that's what happened, as far as I understand. But the human body was created by God, so the human body should not start breaking apart, which it does. So originally, Pirkei written again by one of the Tanaim, he says, from the time of the creation of the heaven and the earth, lo hoya adam chola, nobody was sick. That, that, that was like, how could you get sick if God made the body? Ella, im hoya baderech, o b'shuk, but rather, you're walking on the road, you're in the marketplace, buying some hummus. You sneezed. And your neshama left through your nostrils. That A lot of people heard this, but they never saw this inside. It wasn't this, this idea was not a, you know, just a wives' tale. It's from Pirkei That you would walk, you'd be just going merrily on the road, and all of a sudden you sneezed, and that was it. Therefore, Achebo Yaakov Avinu, until Yaakov came along, Ubikesh al Zos Rachamim, and he begged God to have mercy. And this is what he said. He said, Lafana, Ribonashol, the master of the universe. Al Tikach is Nafshimi Meni, 
don't take my my life until until I go and I can command my children and the people in my house Venetolo and like you know give them directions to let them know that the end is coming and like you know take care of this debt that I have or or whatever raise my kids that they should keep Hebrew names I don't, I don't know whatever it is there's a thing called a living will there's a written will you got to straighten things up right that's why it says that it was told to Yosef that your father's sick and that was like wow your father's sick nobody heard about such a thing and when the people heard when all the kings heard that Yaakov was sick they couldn't believe it they didn't know what to do with it they didn't know what to do with the idea that there's a person who's sick. Because there was never such a thing before. So the kings, they, they didn't know what to do with this. Therefore, that's why you have to say when somebody sneezes, to life. That, that's what he says. That when somebody sneezes, you're supposed to say Chaim, because that's how people died, and that was the common practice. And you say the word Chaim, that the darkness should be changed into the light. Now then the Pirkei um, Leezer quotes sources. He says that in, in Baba Metzia, it says the same idea that until Yaakov it says that Ad Yaakov lo have a that there was no illness. And then he quotes one, then the author quotes one thing. He quotes on the bottom, if you go down a few a few lines. It says, however, in the in the Gemara and Baba Basra, that Evan Tova Hoya Balibo shall Avram Avinu. There's a measure that says, which seems in contradiction to this, that Avram had a certain stone, a jewel. That he had around his neck, also that anybody who saw this stone, miyad misrape was cured. So, what's the question? What's the obvious question? We just learned that until Yaakov, nobody got sick, but it says in the Gemara that Avram had a stone around his neck. So the Tosus asks the question, and the Tosus answers. That what we're talking here specifically, the re says that Ad Yaakov Lohavi Chulsha. Until Yaakov, there was no illness. We're talking about the type of illness that could lead to death. Yeah, before that, there were people who had colds. That was there. That's what you would look at the Ad Yaakov Avinu, I'm sorry, Ad Avram Avinu, and look at his stone, and you were automatically cured if you had a cold, if you had the flu. Out of a headache or something, but the idea of having a disease, that an illness that you died from, was just not existent until this point when Av, when when Yaakov begged God that he should get sick before he dies. I, I thought that that was an interesting approach to life because most of us don't want to get sick and die, but apparently. Was he asking that he should get sick and die, or was he asking before I die? No, before he dies, right. he wants so, to get sick. Like he knows he's going to die eventually. I guess he's just looking for some warning. Yeah. 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 I remember there were people in this neighborhood. There's, there was, uh, I, I, obviously I don't want to say names, there was somebody in this neighborhood whose father just, you know, let the, she was in elementary school. She went to school. Father just, just dropped dead. That's a, a super shock, super shock on the system. On the other side, you know, having gone through it, having a father who was ill, so has its own own negative side to it, you know. But that's what that's what he says was better. Okay, so now we'll go to a happy subject. We did a little bit of death. Now we're gonna go happy. It's a very interesting puzzle.
I'm going to read you the Pasuk. It's in Bereshis. It's in this week's Parsha. Perak Memtes. Okay, everything's in Memtes here. And it's Pasuk Yud Gimel. Okay, Yud Gimel. In English. Zvulun shall settle by seashores. Right? You know, each one of the, the Shvatim had a different area of Israel. So Zvulun, there's Yisachar who's learning Torah. That's his part of the deal. And then Zvulun lives by the boats. He shall be at the ship's harbor. And his last border will reach Sidon, which means it'll go all the way up to Sidon, which is in Lebanon. So what, what is this all about over here? So I'm going to, first of all, I want to tell you a story. Because this has to do, you think about these two people. You have Yisachar who's sitting in the yeshiva learning all day. And then you have Zvulun, who's like doing backbreaking labor, but he's doing something more than that. If he's on the boats, he's by the boats, longshoremen, people who are part of the merchant marine, right? They're traveling all over, all over the world, right? That's what merchant marines do on the boats. It's a very hard job. My brother, I have two brothers, where my family was, I guess, a little bit. I don't know how successful we are, but we're in the, um, we like doing business a little bit. So I have one brother who manufactures, that's my daughter. Just one second. Yes, Toads? Hey, Dad, how are you? I'm feeling a share now. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitch ate everything in present. I hope you don't get it. Okay, I'll call you back. Bye. Bye. Sure. Bye. Okay, so good news. Mitch Ader just became the president of the OU. All right. Mm-hmm. So I have one brother, Yosef, who teaches in SKA, and he manufactures white shirts. You might wonder why white? Because he's colorblind. That's true. Do we leave that in? Do we take that out? I don't know. But, uh, but he is colorblind. So that's why I sometimes ask him if he should go like accessories. Can't do it. That's the truth. Um, my father was colorblind. I didn't know that. But, yeah. Women, as a general rule, women do not become colorblind. That's one of the... In Asia Torah, they used to say that that was one of the... Not the proofs, but one of the signs that show that the Torah is true because women need to be able to know colors when it comes to help us need them. So men don't have to. I remember one time I, I called up Rav Palm. I had a Shaila in Hilchas Nida, and I called him up, and he said to me, Yehuda, you know I'm colorblind. And I said to him, I said it wasn't that kind of Shaila, but, uh, but women generally are not. So my one brother makes shirts. They're, now these are made in uh, Indonesia. These used to be made in China. My other brother makes, uh, used to make shaitals in South Korea. Okay. So my brother goes, he doesn't do that anymore, but he did it for a while. So my brother, the one who made the shaitals, made an appointment to go to an appointment. He bought tickets to go to South Korea to visit the factories. It was in those, it's not that long ago. We're talking about the early 90s. And uh, in the early 90s, people traveled, but not to the extent that people travel today. And it was a big expedition for him to go to Korea, you know. So he went to Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he asked the Rebbe for a bracha. And the Rebbe, I, I mean, you know, as you get older, sometimes you, find, you, you look at things that, that, that people do, and you could see things that you didn't see when you were younger, you know. So the Rebbe said to him that when you go to when you go to Korea, you should make sure to do some kind of specific, some kind of special mitzvah. I don't know if you use the word special, but you should do something there. So you know, in my brain, what that meant was, you don't want the plane to come down, you know, right? You want it to stay up. There's a big tzaddik in Yushalayim. His name is Rav Gamliel Rabinowitz. I, I love Rav Gamliel. He's a big makubal. And uh, I was go- I was in Eretz Yisrael, 
And it was the last day I was there. This goes back about 10, 15, about 15 years ago. And I had an appointment with him. And it was a Sunday. And I was leaving Monday morning. And Rav Gamliel says to me, uh, I, I said, I'm, I'm going tomorrow. And he says to me, um, when? And I said, the first thing in the morning. You know, early flights, like five in the morning. You know? So he says to me, Tefila uh, B'tzibor? You know, you know what I mean? And I said, I had an answer, you know, on the plane. <laughs> he says to me, Kriya Satora, reading the Torah. I said, I don't know. I'm not going to do that. Uh, meantime, I'm watching the plane go down, you know, in my <laughs> eyes. I'm, I'm watching, you know. So then he says to me, you should change the flight. I could not believe that I called up El Al and I said, uh, I need to change the flight. They asked me why. And I said, my rabbi told me <laughs> to change the flight because of reading the Torah. Now, at that time, I mean, it wasn't then, but there was a, an airline called Israel. And one of their selling points was that they had a small mini Sefer Torah on the planes. I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of their, one of their deals. Anyway, they said to me, you can't change the flight. So I was also nervous. I called the Rav Gamliel and I said to Rav Gamliel, can I go on the plane? So he said, yeah, you can go on it. Just try to make Minion, you know. But he said, he said in stronger terms, you should make Minion. But, you know, whatever. I don't know why I tell this story. So the, so the Lubavitcher Rebbe said to him, you should try to find a mitzvah to do. So my brother went to the American Army base in South uh, South Korea, in in uh, in what's the capital in uh, Seoul? In Seoul, there's a big army base there, and he met with the chaplain, and he helped the chaplain get kosher food for Pesach for the Jewish soldiers on the base. Okay, keep that in mind. The Reb Nachman of Breslov once said that when a person goes to do business in a faraway land, he should be happy. Because otherwise, had it not been for business, he would be going there with chains. So what's the pshat? What's the pshat? The pshat is like this. This is the real pshat. And then I'm going to read to you what the Chavetz Chaim says about this because it's just fascinating. This is the real pshat. And we, in our own lives, whether we're going to Korea or we're going to the Grand Canyon where I went to New Hampshire, this is the real pshat. My brother, I'm just use his example. My brother had to go to Korea to do a mitzvah. He had to get there. He had to do a mitzvah. There was no way on this earth that he would ever go to Korea and fulfill that mitzvah, whether it was making a bracha on the water or meeting this uh, chaplain. He would never go to Korea. It's not a country that most people go for sightseeing. You know? He wouldn't go there. So how did God get him to go there? He had to go on business. So he thinks he's going there to make shaitos. But that's not the real reason. That It looks that way, but that's not the real reason that he was going there. He was going there to perform some mitzvah. When I went to New Hampshire for 10 years, 11 years in the summer to a certain area of New Hampshire, so I'm thinking I'm going because of relaxation or whatever. But the real reason I'm going is because there's somebody that I have to meet in Lincoln, New Hampshire, Jewish, not Jewish, whatever. I don't know what it is. We don't know. We don't know why we're going places. We think we know why. I don't know. Are we ever in Lebanon? Okay, so that won't work. But we all travel places. And why are we going there? Who knows? We don't know. Why are you on one airplane and you you know you, you think it's arbitrary that there's no more room on the 11 o'clock flight and you have to take the uh, 1230 flight. That, that's what you think it's arbitrary. It's not arbitrary. None, none of it's arbitrary. That's what Rav Nachman said, that when you have to go on a trip 
for business and you're upset that you're going on the trip because you don't want to be away from your family and you don't want to do what you're doing and you don't want to go to Manhattan on a on a stakeout and you don't want to do you don't want to put your hands in somebody's mouth but you have to because because that's what God wants so be happy that you're going this way because if you weren't going this way you're going to get there you know, it was going to happen if you by hell or high water. Again, I don't know if you leave that in there, but one way or the other, you were going to have to be in Korea, in New Hampshire, in Long Island. You think it's one thing. That's not the truth. That's not, I mean, it has some elements of it, but it's not the whole truth. Now I'm going to read to you what the Hobbit's Chaim said, which connects with this. And I have to tell you, the crazy thing is, I heard the exact same thing, almost word by word. And I'll tell you who it was, and I'll tell you what he said from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Almost exactly the exact same words. So I'm going to read this to you. This is Chavaz Chaim Torah. Okay? Rebbe Eliyah, El Elio Lapian, famous big tzaddik. He quotes that he heard this from the Chavaz Chaim. Sha'amar. This is what his Chavetz Chaim said. I'm going to just read it in Hebrew, even though I could say it outside, but I just want to hear, I want you to hear the exact words. Lama also Kodesh Baruch Hu, why did God make it? Why is it that yeshivas have to send, or organizations have to send fundraisers throughout the entire world to get money? Halo yesh b'mekomenu kama ashirim. There's some well in the in, in let's say they're coming from New York, right? Let's say the institutions. Let's say, let's use the young uh, the uh, YU, right? So they have people fundraisers in the YU that go throughout the whole world fundraising. There's enough people in in New York that could handle it. So why does it have to be like that? Why did God make it that you have to have fundraisers going from? One from Eretz Yisrael all over. Yes, I understand that it seems like there's not that much money in Israel. But the bottom line is that God could have made it differently, and there is money in Israel. So why is this the factor? So he says over here that the reason is because God wants to do chesed with the Jewish people. Because Jewish people travel all over the world. And we find ourselves all over. I was watching a, on Netflix about a Chabad family in Australia, two families, in Australia that traveled to the northwest corridor of Australia, which is like desert and I don't know, whatever, little towns. And you've got these two Chabadniks that they, you can watch the video, it's an interesting video. They, they're, they're just, it's, it was made by the Australian government, tourist, the tourism gov, part of the government. And they're traveling all over trying to find a Jew here and a Jew there. That's what the Chavetz Chaim said. That the reason that God made it, that you have shaluchim that are going to collect money all over, is so they could go to some little town, some little place, or show up someplace, and somebody sees, oh, that's a Jew over there. And it reminds them of their great-grandmother who lit a candle, and then some discussion or something happens. That's what he says. That's the, that's the reason... That's the reason that God made it, that you have Jews who are traveling all over the place. I have friends that go all over China to, to there was, I had a bunch of friends that used to go to China to try to find wealthy Chinese to come to America. That, that industry draw, dried up recently. You guys know about that industry. Yes. Doesn't exist. What were they doing? Why did God want them to do that? That they're going to China to try to find some wealthy Chinese to move to Indiana. <laughs> What's that about? No, they had to go there. Maybe they had to make a bracha on some water from the the Ganges River or whatever. I don't know. I don't. We don't know. But that's what was going. That's what's really going on. So there's a, a, the Chabad House Rabbi. Now that's what the Chavetz Chaim said. The Chabad House Rabbi from Great Neck is a guy. Well, there's a few. But one of them, in King's Point, his name is Rabbi Yonason Biggs. 
And he told me he once asked the Rebbe. When I say asked the Rebbe, let me, let me just clarify this. I mean, like, I'm talking to you. Again, I don't know. Not like putting letters in, in book. You know what I mean? We're talking about the, when the Rebbe was alive. He asked the Rebbe for a bracha that a couple of his his balabatim should cover the entire expense account, you know, expense because they were wealthy enough to do that. And this way he doesn't have to be involved with fundraising. Nice bracha. The Rebbe said he wouldn't give him the bracha. Because he's poor. I'm not giving you that bracha. You have to go to Jewish people who are wealthy and who are difficult sometimes. Maybe he didn't say difficult. I mean, that's what he told me. But maybe I'm embellishing on that part. But the idea was exactly the same thing the Chavetz Chaim said. You know? He was the one, he was, that rabbi was the one that had the near-death experience. I don't know. There was the, on Ishar Road, there was the Chabad rabbi. He almost died. And then apparently he was like going to Shemayim, whatever, and the Rebbe came to him and said, "Uh, your time's not. Your time's not up. I didn't know that one, but that sounds like a good story. And then I confirmed it with, uh, I then met his daughter, and she confirmed the story. Wow. Did not know that story, but that is a good one. Yeah, one, you just had a suicide with that. Really? This just happened now? No, it happened several years ago. Okay. I don't know about it, but I'll, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. But the concept, the concept is that we have to go around our job is to travel all Rabbi over Kaczynski. and yeah. no that's not him this is Jonas and Biggs no, no, but the Rabbi, he's talking I hear you we have to go all around we have to make a Kiddush Hashem all the time we have no idea of the effect that we have we have no idea how people I say this all the time I tell that same story because it was just such a silly story when I was on uh, in Linden Boulevard I say it all the time in, in East New York we'll do it again I, my car at that time didn't have any Hebrew writing on it. My car does now. It says Hashivenu all over the thing. But in those days, I had nothing on it. And I was in East New York. And I ran out of gas just about. And my yarmulke had flown out the window. And there was nothing in my car. I didn't have any mezuzahs on the doors. I had nothing. Chevron forever. You know what I mean? I had nothing. And... I had no Yamakan, you know. I, I understand that I look Russian maybe or Ukrainian or something. I don't look necessarily. Yossi, my son, he, they can look a little bit like uh, very like American. Just leave it like that. But I, I, don't, I go over for gas and this black guy says to me, Rabbi. How can I help you today, you know? How do you know a rabbi? Because, because they know. People know. You think. I was at the Spy Museum in Washington. I'll never forget this. I probably told you this already. And then we'll go over to the next thing. I just uh, It just stays in my mind. I was at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., and there's a bus of Hasidim, and they were all wearing baseball caps. Like, really? <laughs> like... Like, you think that we don't know and nobody knows who you are because you're wearing a baseball cap? I don't think so. I don't think so. So we have to be really aware of what our deal really is. Okay, so now we have enough time to learn a beautiful piece of Gemara. Beautiful. Anybody have any questions or feelings about this? Nothing. So you'll feel better when you're... Flying to El Paso. I didn't say Chicago. <laughs> Inside joke. You know. Anyway, whatever. So it says in this week's parsha, in reference to Yehuda, they have the brachas. So one of the brachas is Lo Yasser Shevet Mi Yehuda. The scepter shall never leave Yehuda. Until the time of the Messianic period. So, Mashiach comes from Shevet Yehuda. And what that's saying is that throughout Jewish history, the, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the first you have the kings, but after the kings, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, for example, 
were always from Shevet Yehuda. It was one of the things that Yehuda is supposed to be the leaders. And the Gemara tells us that Hillel, who was um, straight from the house of Yehuda, Shevet Yehuda, uh, his, he was one of the prime leaders of Eretz Yisrael. He was uh, his children. The Gemara says, B'nei Bonav Shel Hillel, Lamdu Torah and they taught Torah in front of everybody because they were the leadership of the Jewish people. So I want to talk a little bit about Hillel. First of all, Hillel was a lumberjack. I don't know if you realize that. Trees are heavy. If you've never cut down a tree, then you have no idea of how heavy a tree can be. They didn't use it like the gasoline-powered buzzsaws like I did when I was a lumberjack. I'm not comparing myself to Hillel. I'm just saying that they didn't use gas-powered buzzsaws. They were using axes. And that's what he did. Open up your... Uh, open up the, uh, the Gemara page. That's page two. Now, you'll notice I'm not quoting now the famous stories about the three converts who, the potential converts that came to Shammai and Hillel, we all know that story, I think. We could always go over it sometime. But that story is, rel- is, is pretty popular. We, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing about the time when Hillel is in the shower, because he, he felt there was a very big mitzvah to take care of himself physically. He used to talk about that all throughout Shas. He talks about how he would tell his students that just like the people wash down and clean and take care of their idols, the human body was created by God, and we should take care of it equally as well. That's what he used to say. So we all know the story that he was in the shower, Erev Shabbos, and the guy says, why do Africans have wide feet? Why do the people from Mongolia have, have slit eyes? And he keeps on going out, but he has patience. We, we all know that story. If we don't, we'll do it another time. Today, we're going to do a different story. We know this story because we heard it in yeshiva, but the details are not exactly, when you read it a little bit more carefully, it's, it's, I, I found it to be eye, eye-opening. So it's um, a little red. Tanarabhan and the rabbis learned. There's three types of people. Well, not, there's more than three types, but there's three significant people. There's the Ani, there's the poor person, whatever poverty means. There's the Usher, your wealthy guy. And then there's your Russia. Russia, in this case, doesn't mean an evil person. It means somebody whose Yetzirah is really after him. Now, I'm not going to say anything about anybody here. So I could just say for myself, sometimes the Yetzirah really gets after me. I don't know if you know that feeling. That you just like, it's like, it's really, whatever it might be. It could be that you want to say some lush and hard to somebody about somebody. It could be that you got to control your eyes a little bit better. It could be, I don't know. Everybody's got their own, a little potential depression, whatever it might be. But over here, Russia means somebody whose Yezahar is after him. So again, we got the Ani, the poor guy. We got the wealthy guy. And we got the guy who's in the middle of a battle, Yetzirah battle. So it says, It says, Okay, I'm sorry. It says, You should know that these three people in 120 years, they're going to have the judgment day because we're all going to have a judgment day. So these three people are going to have a judgment day. So so the poor person, God's going to say, you know, this is what God says. Why weren't you learning Torah? The, and the poor person's going to say, if the poor guy is going to respond, which is the rational response that we would expect, if he said, I was busy trying to make a living. I have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get dressed and dive in a few words and eat something before I go to work. I work all day because I got 14 kids. Nobody has 14 kids. Okay, so we'll lower it down. We'll go down to five kids. For you, you know. I have to work to pay the mortgage, pay taxes. Sucking the blood out of us, the taxes. It's unbelievable. You never thought that, did you? You get a check. There's nothing on the check. Whatever. 
So, so what happens? Omrim lo, Hashem, they say back, the Bezdin and Shemayim says back, Klum ani hoyisu yosem mehillel. What, you think you were poorer than Hillel? You weren't poorer than Hillel, buddy. You weren't poorer than him. Now let's talk about Hillel. Now this part, we all know this story. But it's a little bit more interesting when you read it inside and you look at the details. I want to get the uh, side interesting details that I saw as, as I was reading it. Okay, one second. Yeah. Yeah. So what was his deal? Amru Olav al Hillel Hazakin. They said about Hillel. Shebachol Yom Bayom that every day. We're okay. Every day Hoya Osa Umishtake Bitarpis. Every day he would work, he would sell himself out like a, as a daily laborer. He would just, whatever he could get. And what he did was he took the money that he made. Half of the money, I didn't realize this. Half of the money went to the guard in front of the base medrash. They didn't let him in. Half, 50% of the money went to the guard. Nobody pays 50% of their money for tuition. That's crazy. 50%. The chetziv leparnososo leparnos anshe beisdo. And 50% went to the family. Okay, that we understand. He gave 50% of his money away. So the Mepharshim say, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to spend 50% of your money on one mitzvah. But he felt he needed to learn. So he felt... I, I can't help it. I just got to do what I got to do. Some of the commentaries say that it wasn't like a tuition, but rather it was for protection because the base medrash was in the fields. But still, 50%, and they wouldn't let him in. That's a crazy thing. How many people here have ever dealt or felt bad for people or whatever who were not accepted into yeshiva because of the steep price of tuition. I can tell you, I deal with it all the time. 50% of your money? Listen to what happens. Pa'amachas, it once happened. He couldn't get any job. He had no money that day. They didn't let him into the yeshiva. We're talking Hillel here. We're not talking about little, little Mr. Tzadikal who's smoking weed. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about learning disabled young lady. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking Hillel Hazokain. He's called, they didn't let Hillel Hazokain into the yeshiva. That's bad. He didn't, but he didn't get disillusioned by it. That's also a pretty amazing thing. So, what did he do? We all know this story. So it says, Allah, so he went up to the roof. I mean, that's what everybody does, right? When you can't get into the yeshiva, you go to the top of the building and you listen through the window, right? That's everybody knows that that's what you do, right? Or you jump off, <laughs> right? The Yashava Piaruba, and he found a uh, what do they call a skylight? I didn't know they had. I didn't know they had glass. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Was there glass at that time? Hillel died. Good, good question. He was born in the year 110 BCE, before the Common Era, and he died in the year 10 of the Common Era. He lived till 120. Glass is like medieval invention. I don't know. Is that true? Tani was talking. Kavija, there was just uh, in the Middle East a lot of the roofs, like my grandmother's house, like they slept on the roof in the summer, and like the middle was open. Like, I would fall in. There's an opening in the roof. Tani was talking to Ravi earlier. Wait, 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 wait a second. When was glass invented? According to Britannica, glass as an independent object dates back to about 2500 BC. It originated perhaps in Mesopotamia and was brought later to Egypt. 
blow that out of the sky. So that's Tani was asking about blow that out. Yeah. Parsha, I think this week or something, it talks about the where Yosef saw the Yaakov's reflection. Or Yaakov saw it says in the window. And you're saying, what kind of glass? Ain't no glass. Because we learned that there was, we also learned that the, the world, everybody thought that the world was flat. Not true. Nobody thought the world was flat. Nobody thought the world was flat. That was made up. That was, I remember when I was in college, I was, I was in college, and I'm in history, medieval history, and we were learning about the concept that the earth revolves around the sun or the sun revolves around the earth, right? Because we believe, we, well, we, I don't know what we believe, but Ptolemy, the, 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 the astro astronomer, felt that the sun revolves around the earth. So I remember saying to my professor, this non-Jewish guy, I said to him, wait, if the sun revolves around Round the earth, that means the earth has to be round. But they thought the world was flat. And I remember getting it over my head that nobody ever really thought because they, people who lived by the ocean, saw the uh, horizon. The horizon. It was, it was spherical. They knew that. Whatever. Okay, so he's on top of the roof. He's on top over there. Why? Okay. And who was he learning from? By the way, it was he went up there to learn that's a um, the words literally mean the words of the living God. But that was, according to the art scroll, that word was a code word for Kabbalah. The words of the living God. Because this was Friday night, as you're going to see in a minute. This whole story took place Friday afternoon, he went, he goes up there after, you know, before Shabbos. He goes up there, you know, because they won't let him up. Can you imagine that? It's a crazy idea. Okay, anyway. Okay, and who's he learning from? Shemaya Valtalyam. We're going to talk about Shemaya Valtalyam. They were two converts, by the way. They were both converts. Um, and we'll see that if we have time in Mishnah. Now we'll do it next time. Amru Osoayom Erev Shabbos Hayom. It was Erev Shabbos, the Tukufos Teves Hayasa, it was the winter. The Yard Allah Shalek Mina Shomayim, and the snow came out from the sky. Where does snow come from usually? From the sky. Why would the Gemara say? And by Yard Allah Shalek Mina Shomayim, and this snow came out of the sky. Why would it say that? So you have two different approaches. One approach is that it really wasn't such a cold day. Because otherwise, what's he doing going up there? That's dangerous. You're not allowed to put yourself into danger to learn Torah. Right? That's the 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 Ben um, Yoda. He says it was. And that's why he says that the snow came down from the sky. Because really, it wasn't such a snowy day, but it came out. The other approach was it was freezing cold. And he came out from the sky because this was his schus, that everybody talks about this story forever and ever. Okay, Kishola Huda Shachar, when it came light in the morning, Omelo Shemayel Avtayon, Shemaya says to Avtayon, Avtayon Achim, my brother Avtayon, Bechol Yom Habayas Meir, every day it is light in the room. Vahayom Ophel, today it's dark. Like, why is it so freaking dark? Shema Yom Hamaunan Hu? It was a, it's overcast? Why well, could it be overcast? He teaches away names, so they raise their eyes. They saw a person's body stretched out over this sunlight, this skylight. They found him. He was under three amos of, of snow. And Amma is. 18 to 24 inches. So we're talking about six, let's say, five feet of snow. Parku, they took him off, and they washed him, and they put him by the fire. And that was his story. That's how poor he was. So he was so poor, he couldn't pay for tuition. 
He put himself on the line because of that. It's crazy. Okay, next guy is the wealthy guy. Usher, if you're really rich. He got this really, really rich guy, this mogul. He's so busy buying a new BMW each week, he doesn't have time to learn. But better than that, he just bought his, you know, his 1,000th building, right? He's got a lot, he doesn't know what to do. So Im Omar Asher Hayisi. So if the guy says, I was really rich, and I was just like overwhelmed with my all my acquisitions. He said, you know what? You are not richer than Rabbi Lazar. They say about Rabbi Lazar ben Kharsum that it says that his father left him 1,000 cities and 1,000 boats. And every day he would go and learn Torah and go from city to city. Okay, and the Gemara goes through a whole story here. Let's go to the Russia. If, you, if you're following... I just skipped to, uh, the rush is the most interesting part. Two, four, six, eight. Ten lines from the beginning of the big, big lines. Russia. If you are a Russia, again, a Russia doesn't mean an evil person. It means somebody who's in the middle of the fight with the Yetzirah. Omrimlo, they say to him, Like, why didn't you learn Torah? So Im Amar, if he says, listen, no, you see, I'm, I was a really handsome guy. You know, now I'm 98 years old and I'm in the grave, but I was a really handsome guy. But Torah Beyitri, I was busy with, preoccupied with my looks and my, you know, womanizing. Omim Lo, so they say to him, Klum Yosef, you weren't more handsome than Yosef. They say about Yosef the Tzaddik. Every day, the wife of Potiphar, would try to seduce him with words. And whatever she wore in the morning, she didn't wear in the afternoon. And whatever she wore in the afternoon, she didn't wear the next day in the morning. One day she said to him, come and have sex with me. He said to her, no. She said, I'm going to have you arrested. Okay, I'm going to do some manipulation here. I'll have you arrested. I'll call the police. I'll make up a story. I'll have an order of protection made against you because you started up with me. So he says, Hashem is mater asurim. God gets you out of jail. She says, I'll give you so much trouble, I'll make you blind. She goes on and on and on. At the end of the day, Yosef doesn't listen to him. So that's the deal. There's a blind for every. Everybody has excuses, but at the end of the day, if you want to do it, we can all learn. We're here. It's 12, 11 o'clock at night. It's 11 o'clock at night, and we're here learning. I would end with one last thing. It's a one-second thing, but it's just a beautiful thought. It's the last page over here. There's a Mishnah in Idiots. This you'll never forget. Once I show this one time, it's one line, you'll never forget it. There's a Mishnah in Idiots. Idiots are, the, are, are interesting Mishnahis. It's talking about a mikvah. What makes a mikvah not kosher, like one of the things, is if you have water that is not coming straight from uh, from the sky or from a river. It's water that's coming from pipes. That's called Mayim Shuvim. That's drawn water. And the Mishnah says that there's a certain amount of water that is drawn, like, you know, with pipes or pails that makes the mikvah not kosher. Strange thing is that when Hillel discusses it, he uses some very strange words. I'm going to read it to you, and you're going to see that this is really crazy, but not after I explain it. It's Mishnah Gimel, three lines in. Hillel Omer, Hillel says, Molehin, a complete hin, 
A hin is an amount of liquid. Okay, let's make it believe it's a gallon. He says a complete hin, like a complete gallon, mayim she'uvim of water, which is drawn water, postly masab mikvah, makes a mikvah not kosher. And listen to these strange words. You always got to say it in your Rebbe's words. What the heck is that about? So this is, the Rambam says this. Hillel's Rebbeim were two converts. Shemaiah Valtalion, as we just learned the story. They could not say the word, hey. They could, in their world, just like a lot of people can't say a ches sound, like, you know, ch, a lot of non-Jews can't say a ch, or we can't say an ayin. You can say an ayin. I can't say an ayin. Right? Where Shemaiah and Avtalion were from, they could not say a hey. So they would say the word, if they were going to just read Hebrew, they would say, in Mayim Shuvim, instead of saying hin, hin being a certain measurement, they would say in Mayim Shuvim, because they couldn't say the hey sound. In Mayim Shuvim means no water makes the mikvah not kosher. So therefore, the Rebbeim added, uh, Shemaiah Vavtalion added the word mole in, a complete in, that obviously means a gallon, right? You're following me or am I losing you? Now, I'm, I'm a little bit losing you. I'll try it again. Do it real quick. The, the non-Jews of that area could not pronounce the, the H sound. The measurement that they used was called a hin. They would pronounce it in. In Hebrew, the word in means none, like aim. It's like nothing. So there would be a false interpretation of the Mishnah if they just said, in Mayim Shuvim, right? So therefore, Hillel kept the words going. So you ever wonder sometimes, like, people who are students of the Lubavitch Rebbe, like, they, like, try to look or sound like the Rebbe? Or people who go to Rav Salavechik, they, you know, they use their goatees and sound like them a little bit. Or who people who, you know what I'm talking about, there's, there's something about the human experience that people imitate their rebellion. And L'shem Shomayim is what Shama Hillel did. Hillel did that over here. You got to say it like your Rebbe said it. That, that's what it says. And, and we know that he said it for this purpose because his Rebbe was a convert who couldn't pronounce the words properly. You understand. You ever you never heard anybody have a lisp when they don't have a lisp? I'm, I'm just asking. I've had I've had I've met people who have a lisp and they don't have a lisp. Turn this off right now. I want to tell you something. You never had you're not gonna do what I'm gonna say right now. You, feel, you never had people who sound Hispanic, but they're not Hispanic. Well, you never had white people sound black, and they're not black, and you never had, you never, where is that, that's because you, if you want to identify in a certain way, you start identifying in a certain way. <coughs> so Hillel understood that he wanted to be like his Rebbe, Shemaya Valtalion. He wanted to keep that going. That's how I see it, you know, not in a negative way, but rather to be like his Rebbe, to say it over the same way. You won't forget that. Molahim, my children. All right. So now we eat. Oh, I'm sorry. Was it too long? No. It was a little bit. It was borderline.